This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Peanut M&M's. It's great that they have them here, but I hate that they have them here. I, can, I cannot stop with these peanut M&M's. I'm hooked on these peanut M&M's. Um, and I don't really have a sweet tooth, but to me, the peanut M&M, other than maybe the Reese's Pieces, it's almost the perfect mix of sweet and savory. It's really, it's really quite good, and they're so easy. They're in like almost a gumball machine, so you can just turn the thing and then grab a handful. Now... So, so pardon me. All right. Um, we're going to do denunciations in a moment. I'll tell you what I um, what I appreciate about Elias, who's back with us now, is he prints out the articles, which is very nice. But what I'm not necessarily sure about is, you know, there are about, you know, 10 articles here. I don't know why he prints an article and then the next article goes sideways as if to differentiate it from the previous article. Why not simply just staple the articles that are multiple pages and then, you know, just have them all not go sideways? You see what I mean, Tony? Look, it's kind of it's all, all different ways, you know, and I get what he's trying to do here. But see, the Kenneth method, he really perfected it. He would staple and number so that if, you know, you got accosted or something on the way, you would like the diamonds that Steve Lightfoot got hit out of his hands you would still know which article was where. But, I don't know, we'll save it for the post-show meeting. If you could put that on the list, Matt Blaze, for the uh, post-show meeting, thank you. All right. Well, without further ado, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... Denunciation. I want to denounce the people that are emailing bomb threats to multiple state capitals. I mean, we are now seeing the... Capitals of Kentucky, Mississippi, Georgia, Connecticut, Michigan, Minnesota, all be the recipients of emailed bomb threats. And basically, you know, when you get a bomb threat, whether it's from just one nut job or someone else, it really does heighten security. It creates kind of a level of chaos, which is why I'm sure all these people are doing it. But You really should not be doing it. And if you are emailing bomb threats to the state capitals, I do denounce you. I hope that they find whoever is responsible for these bomb threats and they prosecute them fully. I must also denounce the Islamic State. They have claimed responsibility for the bombing attack that killed 84 people in Iran on Wednesday during a memorial proceeding for General Qassem Soleimani. And uh, this is I, I'm not surprised that ISIS did this because obviously ISIS has this uh, this blood vendetta against the 
Iranians and really any anyone that is a, uh, a Shia Muslim. But the way they've done this is just textbook terrorism and textbook designed to cause destruction. They have two bomb blasts that explode about 20 minutes after one another. So what they do is they try to kill as many people as possible and hurt as many people as possible and then have other explosions go off 20 minutes later. So as ambulances and emergency services and other entities are going to rescue those people and get the medical aid, they're blown up as well. And I can't think of anything more reprehensible than that, except maybe uh, making rape a part of your terrorist attack. ISIS, I do denounce you. I must also denounce David Tepper. No, not David Tepper, uh, my friend who has a food truck, who's actually a pretty nice guy. But David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers. Have you seen this? This guy's a real jerk. He threw a drink. This is the owner of the team, owner of the Panthers. He threw a drink at fans near the end of the Panthers' 26 to nothing loss to the Jaguars on Sunday in Jacksonville. After the Panthers went two days without commenting on the incident, the team released a three-sentence statement from Tepper that did not include an apology. He just said, I'm deeply passionate about his, about this team and regret my behavior. Now, the NFL has fined the, the uh, Tepper $300,000. Good, good. I, I don't know where these people learn their manners. To me, passion is not an excuse for throwing a drink at someone. You're an adult. You're the owner of an NFL franchise. Act like one. Show a modicum of decorum. You don't think, look, I'm a Met fan. I'm not the owner of the Mets, thank goodness. But you don't think I know what heartbreak is like? I sat through that 1993 season and watched them lose 103 games. You don't think there were moments where I wanted to throw a drink or someone at someone? How about the 1999 New York Mets where Kenny Rogers walked in that run against the Braves and cost them the playoffs with a walk to be eliminated from the playoffs with a walk? How about the 2000 World Series against the Yankees and that roided-up lunatic Roger Clemens throwing a bat against our star, Mike Piazza? Don't you think there are moments I wanted to throw a drink at someone? That's why you exhibit self-control. So shame on you, Dave Tepper, Shame on you. I do denounce you. I must also denounce NYPD officer Edward Nunez. He used, this is just, I find this so offensive. He used someone else's fake COVID test to remain in the Dominican Republic during a family vacation. And now he has been fired. Good, good. I mean, it's bad enough that you're trying to rip off the taxpayers, but to actually pretend you're having a medical emergency so you can extend your vacation, do your job. I I hate this, and I think this was so pervasive at the height of COVID. People um, either say, oh, I had a COVID exposure. Okay, come on. Are are, are you? Please. 
or just outright faking these tests. I'm glad at least someone's losing their job for this because I have a feeling this was pervasive. Edward Nunez, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Claudine Gay, Harvard president. Now, look, I'm totally against cancel culture. I don't like people being canceled because of their speech or because of their beliefs or because of something they've said. Totally against that. I want to be clear. This is not what happened here. It's true that this plagiarism was discovered because of her congressional testimony. That's true. But you know what? If that's the case, good. Good. Let's discover the plagiarism of every college president in America. And if it's congressional testimony that wakes people up to go back and look at the dissertations and the other academic articles that people have read and they discover this plagiarism, great. I mean, to me, this is not cancel culture. This is a woman who never should have gotten the job in the first place and has now been fired and get not fired, left her position as president. She gets to keep a $900,000 a year job on the faculty. I mean, that's my kind of firing. I'll tell you what. Claudine Gay. I do denounce you. I must also denounce the state of Hawaii. Uh, I like the state of Hawaii. I was there for three or four days for my brother's wedding. Not quite three, four days, maybe two days. And it was a great state. A lot of sunshine, a lot of good people. But they have ranked as the worst state in the entire country for bicycle and motorcycle fatal crashes. So um, overall, California beats out everybody because of the number of crashes. But when you take into account population, Hawaii tops the list. Um, So that is not a great situation. So Hawaii is the worst per fatal crash involving a pedalist, pedal cyclist, or a motorcyclist per population. As a percentage of fatal crashes, 31.6% end in a fatality in Hawaii. Uh, This is um, according to data from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Florida, number two. Rhode Island, number three. Safest state, by the way, to be a bicyclist or a motorcyclist? Mississippi. Or as I like to call it, Mississippi. So, uh, Hawaii, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson is a travel agent in the state of North Carolina who was the owner of Carolina Blue Tours in Statesville, and he scammed elderly people out of $25,000. I, I just hate this, this, this kind of behavior. Basically, I, I hate any scam that targets senior citizens. I mean, it's just, to me, so so low life um this guy would sell elderly couples cruises and then cancel the day before they were expected to set sail and not give them their money back he would never book their reservations and in the case of one couple he went on the cruise himself so um This is a real butte. Charles Johnson, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Fox News. Um, Frank Thomas was a great baseball player, primarily for the Chicago White Sox. He also played for the 
athletics, I believe. And uh, he's 55 years old, still in commercials. Seen in this one commercial, I'm not even sure what it's for, but it's for he's playing golf with another retired athlete. It's a pain relief commercial or something. Three-time All-Star, great ball player. He was one of those guys that hit for power, hit for average, and uh, really just it seems like a great guy too. And on Fox News, they announced that he was dead. Well, he was not dead. He's still alive. They they had a Frank Thomas obituary with his year of birth and his year of death as 2023. It was another Frank Thomas who died. The Frank Thomas who died was a player for the New York Mets years ago who was born in 1929. To their credit, the network did correct the gaffe. But I just don't understand. Before you announce someone is dead, wouldn't you double check? They had a graphic up. His year of birth, his year of death. I mean, I could see how it went down. Someone says, hey, let's put up a graphic. Frank Thomas died. Someone else says, Frank Thomas, the baseball player? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's look up what year he was born. Okay. Not that Frank Thomas, folks. All right. Uh, The living Frank Thomas was not happy with the misidentification. Hours later, he posted to Twitter, calling Fox News irresponsible for the mistake. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very sorry. My ex-employer, Fox, would be this irresponsible on national TV this morning. Yes, I'm alive and doing well. This blows my mind also. You know, it reminds me, it's not totally the same thing, but it's in the same vein. Years ago, uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. died. And a TV station, they actually said, imagine that, that Frank Sinatra Jr. died. And so they didn't put up a picture of Frank Sinatra Jr. They put up a picture of Joe Piscopo as Frank Sinatra from Saturday Night Live as the graphic of Frank Sinatra Jr. died. (laughs) So I was working with Joe in those days, and uh, Joe was going on an airplane trip somewhere. And he, I said, and I, Joe, for whatever reason, thought he was going to die on this airplane trip. And I said, Joe, obviously, if you do die, we're going to put up something from the station's Facebook page saying that you're dead. And we're putting up Frank Sinatra Jr.'s picture. And he said, I would be disappointed if you didn't. So luckily, he's still alive, much like Frank Thomas. And uh, we didn't have to resort to that. I want to denounce these people in Omaha, Nebraska that stole a man's comic book collection inside of a storage unit. I hate this. These burglars took off with thousands of dollars worth of comics from this storage unit. And this guy, my heart really goes out to them, him because I like comics, and I used to, I don't really keep up with it now, but I used to have a pretty big comic collection. I've got a pretty big collection of um, wrestling magazines as well. Nothing like what this guy has. This guy had between sixty and a hundred thousand comics. I have, I don't know, maybe less than a thousand. But this guy was collecting for the last twenty-five years, and he put so much work into this, only to have it stolen from a storage facility. So I, I hope that the storage facility takes some responsibility. In this, they, they didn't take them all, but they took about 10,000 comics, 10 to 15 boxes. 
And I just feel awful for this gentleman, Chris Renstrom, to have his comic stolen. And I hope they bring the person or persons that did this to justice. Because there are some crimes you just can't forgive, and comic book theft is one of them. So to these comic thieves, I do denounce you. And then finally, I want to denounce uh, Debra Redden, a three-time felon who was in Clark County District Court Judge Mary Kay Holthus's courtroom for sentencing on a charge of attempted battery with bodily harm. And when she was being sentenced, she actually attacked the judge. I don't know how she was able to get away with this. I don't know how this person wasn't able to be, re- be restrained, but she was able to attack the judge. Totally uncalled for. Uh, Ms. Reedon, I do denounce you. Robert Davi joins us next, and then we'll take your calls at 800-848-9222. Robert Davi, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. What is America to me? A name, a map, or a flag I see? A certain word, democracy. What is America to me? The house I live in, a plot of earth, the street, the grocer and the butcher, and the people. The house I live in. Almost all of you probably recognize that song, even if the vocalist doesn't immediately come to mind, although something tells me a good number of you recognize the vocalist as well. If you listen to the lyrics to that song, which obviously Frank Sinatra made famous, they're more relevant today than ever, as we're dealing with people that are willing to literally risk their lives to come to America, and we're dealing with uh, how America is going to deal with an influx of people that doesn't want to follow the same sort of procedures and laws that literally generations of immigrants have had to contend with. How is this all going to play out? Uh, A lot of that comes to mind when you listen to that song. There are a few things that are difficult to do in the public eye. If you're in the public eye, one of the most difficult things that you can do is make a living as an entertainer. There are thousands, probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that try to do this. Only a handful are able to do it successfully. One of the even rarer things that you can do in the public eye is make a living as an entertainer for a long time. An even rarer thing than that, though, is to be able to make a living as an entertainer and be successful for a long time in multiple different aspects of the entertainment industry. But you want to talk next to impossible. Impossible. 
It's incredibly impossible to do so while you're outspoken politically about your views, which don't necessarily happen to be the views of the mainstream of Hollywood. That is one of the things or those are three of the things that make my next guest so unique and so special. I am very, very pleased to be joined once again by actor, director, singer and the man you just heard in that song, Robert Davi. Robert, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me again, Frank. I appreciate it. Robert, um, you know, I think a lot of people not only recognize your work as a singer, but they've seen you in a number of different movies, whether you're playing a gangster, whether you're playing a villain, whether you're playing a cop or an FBI agent, whatever the case may be, they've seen you over the last, you know, four decades, maybe more. Have you always been a conservative or was your kind of reawakening to being a conservative something that happened after you were already making your bones in the uh, entertainment business? Well, you know, Frank, it started, I guess, I uh, was always interested in politics. Even as a kid, me and my cousins would debate. We would pretend we were different. I'm talking about at 9 and 10, 11, 12 years old. We would pretend we were different politicians running. A, I think Robert Wagner was was the mayor of New York at one time, Mayor Wagner. I sure. Remember back in the, yeah. Uh, and anyway, all those political debates and, you know, the family were Kennedy de- Democrats. They were uh, Buckley um, conservatives. It was a wide variety of of, uh, of that. And uh, But I had not declared myself as any kind of uh, conservative or liberal. I was a bit apolitical at the time because uh, I was more interested in the poetry and in the, and the entertainment. And then when you, when you were uh, working with Stella Adler, I think later on in the 70s, uh, where you have to realize you have to be a member of society and the artist has to understand, you know, all sides of it, but then be able to argue on what their belief system is. You know, when you find out uh, and, and research whatever it is, you can. So it's a developing thing. But I have to say my dad, who didn't talk a lot about politics, he worked three jobs, died in his mid 50s. He was a Knight of Columbus. And uh, he gave me two books when I was younger. One was called None Dare Call It Treason. The other was called Masters of the Sea. And irrespective of how you feel about those books, I read them at a certain point, probably before I was 13. And, um, they were almost cautionary tales about what was going to happen to America and how the left or the extreme left, how the Marxist left, communist left, if you want to say, was going to infiltrate in a, in a very devious way. The educational system, it started with taking the, even a prayer out of school or a moment of silence out of school and the whole, you know, the whole gamut of the you know, rules for radicals let's say, the Alinsky thing. But being aware of that over the decades, I saw stuff happen. And at different times, I was affected by, you know, uh, (laughs) the media kind of gets things, uh, and the propaganda machine sways you in certain instances. Um, And celebrity. But uh, then I developed more of a political mind. And um, I think in the 90s, uh, started to become a little more conservative. 
One of the things that I hear from people, listeners of all political stripes, is they don't want to hear about an actor or an entertainer's politics. Uh, when when we're talking acting, I hear from a lot of conservatives that they don't want to even go see a movie with uh, Robert De Niro anymore because he's been so outspoken about maybe being anti-Trump or maybe some other causes. And at, at various times, I've heard the same thing said of uh, people like Quentin Tarantino or Susan Sarandon. On the left, I've heard uh, people say they don't want to patronize uh, people like uh, John Voight. And I'm sure there are plenty of people on the left that might say the same thing about you because you've been so outspoken. It's obviously a risk for an actor, a performer to uh, put themselves out there with their views because whatever those views are, there's someone that doesn't like them. Knowing the risk, why are you still so outspoken? To thine own self be true. I would feel... I, I, I can't I can't justify pimping the public without letting them know who I am. And at the same time, I say that I say that even though I had disagreed vehemently and a thousand percent of when De Niro at that Tony Award said F Trump. And I I criticized that and some other things he had said or Rob Reiner, how they say things they can they can go out and say whatever they want, can't they? And um, it's. Unfortunately, a lot of the people that think differently, and they don't have to be conservative necessarily, they can just be more moderate than the extreme left or the useful idiots on the left. Um, you, have to, you have to say that uh, you need to be able to... Celebrity matters. And I remember when I was a kid, and a Frank Sinatra or a Jimmy Stewart or Johnny Carson or one of the celebrities would kind of say something, uh, it affected you. You you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's what Taylor Swift is doing now, signing people up. She has such influence that she's able to, uh, but someone like Elvis didn't get political, where Sinatra was very outspoken. And um, I, I again, I go to that to that own self be true. And you're giving a certain people, there's so many people that celebrities on the left that speak out, you've got, uh, you know, Tons of them. And I, I feel like by me speaking out and, and saying how I feel, there are people out there that may feel the same way as I do. And it gives them and, and they do reiterate that I get messages from a lot of people thanking me for being outspoken. One of the things that we're seeing um, lately, especially, is a lot of people that are New Yorkers moving to the state of Florida. A lot of people that make that transition call it the free state of Florida. Some move down there because of the taxes. Some move down there because of the weather. But a lot of folks, they don't like the political climate in New York, New Jersey. You grew up in New York. I think you've lived in California before, too. Are you a Floridian these days? And what brought you down there? I lived in Florida. I've lived in, I mean, excuse me, in California, 46 years. I was brought there when I did the film with Sinatra in 1977. I stayed there, and it was a great state, and I had a wonderful time and uh, beautiful things in California. And again, I saw the dissipation of that state go down decade after decade after decade. Until now, they're giving 700,000 immigrants free health care. And you look, at we're all bleeding hearts. We all, you know... Uh, the force, the force of that, give me your tired, your poor, the huddled masses, all of that, that the left wants to bring up all the time. Like, this is what we have to do. Even this morning I saw, or yesterday, a clip of Joy Behar talking about, yes, well, we're an immigrant population. I'm so sick of hearing that. Yes, a legal immigrant population. It's when the Irish and the Italians 
and Jews came here, we had to be vetted. When I, my grandparents came, they had to have a place to stay. They had to have a sponsor. They had to have health uh, uh, certificates. It was not just come into the country. What's happening now is a seditious act that our government, the one thing they're there for is to protect the United States and our borders. So, and you're just letting people in. You, so you did move to Florida primarily because of the, the, the political climate in California. The homeless, the hum- mm-hmm. Well, the homelessness and the crime. You know, people were looting. They're looting. Look what happened to Ian Ziering the other day mm. in California. Now, it happens all over, but it happens more so in California because it has no structure of law and order anymore. You have a mayor in, in California and a, 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 a district attorney, much like you have in, in New York now. That, that that are more interested in doing, you know, for lack of a better word, trumped up charges against Trump mm-hmm. instead of taking care of these criminals. Robert, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Robert Davi. If you want to check out any of his music and or some of his other work, you can go to the terrific website, DaviSingSinatra.com. That's DaviSingSinatra.com. Are, are there more conservatives in Hollywood than people realize? Uh, do you have a lot of uh, actors that come up to you on the side and kind of whisper to you, hey, you know, you're speaking for me too? I get a lot of much respect, man. I wish I had your cojones. Uh-huh. Um and, and that can come from women as well. And there's a, I'm seeing a shift, not only in, in, in actors, but in society all over the place. People now are kind of have been bamboozled long enough. And they're saying to themselves, wait a second, we have to look at this. How do we, how do we justify 10 million illegal immigrants coming into the nation? How do we justify that when we're, gonna, we're on the verge of AI? We're on the verge of McDonald's being absolutely automated. Where are the jobs going to go? What do they have planned? What's going on? You know, you got, you got a guy like Gavin Newsom that cleans up San Francisco because the president of China comes to take a visit. And he, <laughs> he, puts, he puts Chinese flags all over and gets the homeless out of there and cleans up the crap and the, the urine on the streets. And he didn't do it for the regular citizenry, people that are leaving and stores that are closing. I mean, it's unconscionable that the left in America has let this happen. And it's rampant in New York. It's rampant in California. It's rampant in Philadelphia. It's rampant in Chicago. And so, that was a, you know, uh, one one of the fellas that got uh, very high marks during the uh, COVID lockdown is your current governor, Ron DeSantis. He is running for president now, obviously. His presidential campaign hasn't taken off as well as uh, I'm sure he thought it would and as well as a lot of his supporters thought it would go. How do you see the uh, presidential race playing out at this point with two of the leading candidates on the Republican side, DeSantis and Trump, being your fellow Floridians? Well, first off, um, when Trump announced in 2015, on May, I think it was June 16th, I wrote an article on Breitbart that he was going to win and be the nominee. You can look at it in Breitbart. Right. It's I've dated seen it. Absolutely. The day he came down. Now, Mark Levin, great Mark Levin, and many people disagreed at the time. Many people were all never Trumpers. And I had a valley of, valley of, Criticism because are you kidding me? All this I says, you know, here's why. And I've been subsequently wrote other articles now uh, defending uh, Trump at that time, uh, you know, during that mm-hmm. during the campaign, era. right? Yeah. Now, when I saw Ron DeSantis debate Chris Christie, what's his name? Uh, 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 Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist. 
I don't know why I get him mixed up with Chris Christie. Yeah, I understand. When he debated Charlie Chris, I saw that he didn't have, he wasn't primetime ready. He wasn't quite ready. He was good for, for Florida, but I could not see him running. And I suggested to them he shouldn't run yet. He should let, you know, endorse Trump or however it might lay out but not to, to push his thing because it's not going to be right yet. It's not going to be right for him. That's how I feel about Ron DeSantis. You know, terrific governor of Florida, but it needs a different kind of thing. You need a little more time for, for the presidency, for, for Ron DeSantis. Now, he's got great qualities, uh, but there's that other aspect. Who I like is Donald Trump, of course, is in spite of all the issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, now he's somebody that's taking everything head on, and he's been playing it pretty interestingly. Um, and Robert Kennedy Jr., of all people, who I know very well because I used to do the Waterkeeper Alliance. I may not agree with him on everything, sure. but he seems to be outside the box of this deep state corruption that we have in our nation right now and in politics. If those three guys got together and kind of formed some kind of alliance, I, I think that would be a very good, a very good thing. But, um, yeah, that's how I see it laying well, out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting, that's for sure. You know, those are the three candidates that I find most uh, intriguing, the three that you just mentioned for uh, some of the same reasons. Uh, talking with Robert Davi, you can check out his web- website, Robert Davi Sings, uh, excuse me, DaviSingsSinatra.com. You know, speaking of Sinatra, obviously we did a whole uh, Sinatra retrospective last month around the time of his birthday. As you alluded to, you got to uh, know him as an actor. Now you see you you have developed a huge following singing some of his songs one of the things that i mentioned uh, last month is i thought sinatra was tremendously underrated as an actor as a guy that's been a student of his music and as a guy that actually got to work with him as an actor how do you rank frank sinatra as an actor robert well i think he's you know <laughs> he's a terrific actor i mean even the Manchurian Candidate, his presence, he was like a a more romanticized Bogart in a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. who, who did like uh, Sinatra. And I mean, but he could, he had the charm, he had the fun, he had the comedy. Um, I, I, I enjoy him as an actor. I like watching him. He's a great screen presence. And he became a friend of mine, you know, from doing Cherry Street. We spent, what is it, four months, and then I became friends with him and Jilly and the rest of the crew. And uh, they opened a lot of doors in New York, in Los Angeles for me. And he was even friends with Cubby Broccoli later on. You know when we did the Bond. Were you and, over? Were you... The character Fran Sanchez mm-hmm. that I played in License to Kill is really Frank Sinatra. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 the same amount of letters. It was done as a kind of a wink to him. Uh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. But now that you mentioned that, and I love that uh, that uh, Sina- that uh, James Bond film. That was the first one that I saw in theaters. But uh, I didn't even realize they have the same initials, and I can absolutely see it uh, that way. I mean, if there's time, I want to ask same you. Same initials that. and same number of letters in the name. That, that is wild. I no, never. It was done on purpose. It was done on purpose. I never realized that. Hey, um, we just came out of the Christmas holiday. Also, I'm sure you get asked this question every year. Uh, your uh, co-star in the film Die Hard has been very 
very outspoken. Bruce Willis, who obviously is battling uh, some health issues right now, and we all wish him the best. But he has said repeatedly that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. You're uh, you play a pretty memorable role in Die Hard yourself. You seem to have some authority to speak on that question. Is Die Hard a Christmas film? Well, let me put it this way. Christmas Eve, I put out a, a, a poster sign. My wife drew it up. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It got over a million two hundred thousand views on, <laughs> on on X. And and about eight months earlier, the Action Film Festival in London, I had they, they brought me and John McTiernan, and that question was posed to the two thousand in the audience, and I did say yes, it's a Christmas movie. I've acquiesced. Initially, I did not think of it as a Christmas movie, but there is a, you got Bruce Willis running barefoot with his bleeding from his feet. Right. You've got it, you know, there, you can, you can give some symbolism to it. And uh, so I've, and then also the, you know, I like, you know, it was not like number 26 on INDB this, this last few weeks because they re-released it and everyone watches it for Christmas. So that's good for residuals and good for my kids. So, <laughs> Definitely a Christmas movie. Uh, I, I appreciate the uh, refreshingly honest uh, response on that one. Hey, uh, you also directed a film, I guess now it's two years ago. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, it's on my list. Oh. It's called My Son Hunter. It's obviously oh, you about... See it. I will. I want to. It's on, it's on my list. You know, I'm chasing around. Uh, my non-radio and non-sleep time is spent chasing around a two-year-old. So most of the wa- movies that I get to watch are is Cars, the, the movie Cars on a, basically a continuous okay. loop. Um, I have a four-year-old girl. I've got, you know, eight kids. Four-year-old girl. I'm watching Luca every other night. <laughs> well, next time you're in New York, we'll have to and get them mermaid. together. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can empathize. Hey, uh, but anyway, tell, tell folks, if they haven't seen it, about My Son Hunter. Obviously, I think folks can probably uh, guess as to the editorial bent of this film, given the fact that you directed it. Why make this film? What's uh, My Son Hunter about? Well, don't forget, I did it. We filmed it in Serbia two years ago, and um, it was um, the laptop. The it was frustrating to me because there was so much information that was being um, ignored by the media, so much, and it frustrated me, angered me in a way. And then the film came along, and this company said, "Would I direct it?" And they gave me the script, and we worked on that a little more, and. Um, Everything that was in the laptops, this is when the, the New York Times denied that there was a laptop, mm-hmm. that people, people were denying that there was a laptop, and uh, um, had to make the film. And it, it exposes the corruption, exposes, I don't demonize the drug addiction. Uh, people on the, some, some reviewers call it a masterpiece, and people on the left hate it and said, hey, never, none of this ever happened, and now we're finding that they've got to re- Look at their reviews because well, yeah, I mean, it's coming out. that's exactly what I was going to ask you. You know, I'm very proud in this audience that I think we have a pretty politically diverse audience. And it's not unusual to see uh, certain filmmakers that may be outspoken in their views make films about political figures that everybody can watch. You know, one uh, example that comes to mind is Oliver Stone. He made the film W. And while I don't think Oliver Stone is a fan of George W. Bush, that was a film that both Bush critics and Bush fans think was pretty well done is this film my son hunter a film that uh people that might have voted for joe biden might also like or is this only for uh trump fans 
Well, first off, it's told through the eyes of a 25-year-old exotic dancer who has a relationship uh, with Hunter. And I don't demonize his addiction. Um, it's told satirically like uh, The Wolf of Wall Street or American Hustle, uh, something that to that effect. You will feel sympathy. The, the right got angry. I think I did it good because the right was angry and the left was angry. Uh, it's perfect. The right said you made it too sympathetic and the left didn't believe any of this happened, <laughs> meaning uh, the corruption. Yeah. And, um, and, and it has a, uh, it's funny, it has an emotional aspect to it uh, because you have to make the leap, and the film does this, or the film expo- expresses this, that could Hunter have done all of this on purpose? How do you leave laptops? Now, even when I was researching he left a backpack with a laptop and drugs in a in an Airbnb in, in, in California, in mm-hmm. another place, mm-hmm. one they didn't talk about. When we were in Serbia, he went to Serbia a month before we started filming. His lawyer came while we were filming that was going to do a documentary on him. I don't know if they're doing that or not, but questioned the cast and questioned me. And uh, this Kevin, whatever his name was, that was with South Park, that gave him four point five million dollars. It's it's a uh, it's a conundrum, and and the people I have to ask the people that are diverse out there that that have children that are honest with themselves. I have children now. Joe Biden was on a plane with his kid for eighteen hours, seventeen hours, fifteen hours, twelve hours, whatever it is, different places in the world. You mean to tell me they never spoke about business? Who you're meeting, who you're seeing, and and p- p- people. It's very strange how people don't want to, you know. I, I, and I'm tired of this attack on democracy that Trump is going to hurt democracy. When what I'm seeing from the left uh, and and I, anybody out there that is lefty, you know, they're going to get upset about that. But I, you know, and the right. Look at both sides. Mm-hmm. Both sides. No one is innocent. We can agree on that. We can all agree no one is innocent. Um, because, again, this whole immigration thing. I met with Mitch McConnell in 2010. I wrote an article on Bible in 2010. How come we're not taking care of immigration? It's broken. I have a friend of mine that a month ago, his wife, who is married to him, he's an American citizen. They have a child who's an American citizen, and she can't get in the country. She can't get her green card or whatever it might be, her visa to come in. And meanwhile, the illegals are coming in, uh, uh, you know, there's that whole 10 million. I mean, how do we justify that? How do we, how do we, how do you as a human being say, you know, oh, but we have to do this to them. No, we don't. Um, Robert, I'm just about out of time. I want to end with this, though. We talked about you being a Bond villain in License to Kill. You have a uh, favorite. You have a great quote in that film that was recently cited by Elon Musk, became viral again. But I have to confess, I've seen you uh, say this uh, quote in the film, but I always thought just that it was a quote that always existed. If people don't know what I'm talking about, here it is. Killing me won't stop anything, Sanchez. There are worse things than dying over it. Today is the first day of the rest of your life.
today is the first day of the rest of your life. Were you the first person to say that publicly or was it just put in the film because it was already a common phrase? Well, first off, the phrase was today is the first day of the rest of my life. And that was done by a guy named Charles Redecker or something. He he started Synanon. It was a drug rehab company or, or, or program in the 70s. And the oddness of that is that the guy was arrested later on and there was corruption involved. <laughs> so it was fitting to have a version of that line with a Bond villain who was a, a drug lord. But it was today's the first day of the rest of your life. And if 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 Elon was going to quote that, he would have said my life. He was quoting what I had said. Uh, Today's the first day of the rest of your life. As uh, Sanchez, as we're putting Felix Slider into the shark tank. Yeah, it's a great scene, and uh, people should rewatch that. I love uh, Timothy Dalton as James Bond. I wish he had done a couple. They got more. forty-one or forty-three million views or, or more from from Elon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something tells me he may have a future, this Elon Musk. You, you know, I've not heard of him before, but it's, it looks like he's grown in the right direction. Hey, Robert. I met him. I met him, I met him in Brentwood. Uh, yeah, several years ago. I, I, I can imagine that was some meeting. Um, you got to come back again soon. I could talk with you for hours about so many different subjects. Thank you for the time this morning, and uh, uh, have a great weekend. Let's chat soon. All right, Frank, thank you, and have a great 2024. Thank you, likewise, my friend. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call at 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. at midnight with Frank Morano. top of the hour. You want to comment on uh, anything we've covered thus far, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. I, uh, tomorrow's going to be a big day for us because we are taking, well, I am taking my son Carmine for a haircut at noon. And um, last two haircuts we went to uh, have not gone that well. He cried both times. And he was happy to get the lollipop, but uh, the last time, see, the first time we took him with my wife, and we were concerned, you know, because when she's around, he gets clingy with her. He's kind of a mama's boy when she's around. When she's not around, he's fine. And so we figured, you know, maybe that was why. So the second time I took him by him, by him, just just the two of us, I went with him, and he sat on my lap while getting his hair cut, and he really just needed a couple of snips, and he cried. I felt so bad for him, and. 
we I've been talking with him about the haircut. I said, Carmen, ready to go get a haircut on Saturday? Ready to go get a haircut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says lollipop because he knows he gets a lollipop. So I've got my uh, payment for the haircut ready. I'm trying to get him all prepared, but we'll see how it goes. Hopefully he doesn't cry again. And then I am excited to be at, uh, you know, to uh, see some uh, football on um, on Saturday. It's nice to have these Saturday NFL games. We have a um, children's birthday party to attend on Saturday afternoon. And then I think there'll probably be an after party. I don't know if there's going to be a, um, you know, the game on either at the kids' birthday party itself or at the uh, after party. So we'll see. But that's uh, that's the only thing on my agenda tomorrow. And um, But wish me luck. Wish me luck. <laughs> Taking a two-year-old for a haircut is certainly no day at the beach. That's for sure. Hey, if you want to uh, email me, you're certainly welcome to do so. Frank.Morano at uh, RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. That's Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. Coming up next hour, I, I think, you know, I don't discuss the trans issue that often, primarily because it is an issue that I feel like gets too much attention. I feel like there's it's an issue where the amount of people affected by it compared with the amount of people that talk about it in the media, it's way out of proportion. That being said, there are two aspects of this that I think are worth paying attention to, and I'm going to bring them to your attention after the top of the hour. And I know we do have a number of trans listeners because several of them uh, write to me. I'd love for you to call in next hour and address these two stories that I'm going to bring to your attention because... It's really the only aspect of the trans debate that I think is really anybody's business. We'll get into it in a moment. Until then, your influence counts. Use it.